Hello, and welcome to Hope Church. We're a local church with chill style, real faith, and no perfect people allowed. Thanks for checking out our podcast. This is a message from our SoCal location in the Santa Cruz, California area. We hope this message is encouraging. If you live near either of our locations, we'd love to have you join us for one of our many Sunday services. Good morning, you guys. Welcome to Hope Church. Most blustery fall day. Um, I'm Chris Matley. I'm the senior associate pastor of teaching and worship uh, in the Foursquare Church in Santa Cruz County that covers Hope Church here in Soquel and Hope Church in Scotts Valley and then the Coastlands Church in Aptos, in case you didn't know. Um, and when I was in the sixth grade, um, there was a girl named Lona Lopez who I had a crush on. But I wasn't the only one. There was a guy named Ryan Betts who also had a crush on the same girl. Uh, coincidentally, um, I got to know just in this last year a guy named Dave Betts from the Coastlands, and it's Ryan's cousin. Kind of funny that that, uh, that turn of events. But back in the sixth grade, Ryan was my immortal enemy because we both had our eye on the same girl, Lona Lopez. This one day uh, in class, the teacher had uh, asked us to do a presentation uh, we were supposed to write a report on a country that interested us and then give a presentation in front of the class. And as the, right at the beginning of the class, Lona came and dropped a little note on my desk. And I opened it up and it said, do you want to go around with me? Which back then, that's how we used to say go steady. Do you remember this? Uh, if you're my age, uh, do you want to go around with me? And, and there was a box that I could check yes, or there was a box that said no. And I looked at the note and I thought, I won. Like, I never win. This is amazing. Like, and the, so the presentations are going on. The kids are giving their thing, but I'm not hearing them at all. I'm just thinking about this note, and I thought, oh, this is amazing. And then I thought, well, wait a second. She's not telling me that she wants to go with me. She's asking if I want to go with her. That's different. So as I often do, I started to overthink it. And, and then I thought, well, maybe, maybe she's not into me. This is you know, her, her wanting to find out where I'm at. And, you know, so I kind of built this whole thing in my mind. Well, the note was sitting on my desk. Well, it was her turn to give the presentation. As she's walking up, she comes and she picks up the note on the way up. And I go, I didn't check a box. It's just blank. So she gets up to do her presentation, and I'm, like, sweating. I'm like, oh, how do I navigate this horrible situation? She goes and sits down, and I didn't want to turn and look over my shoulder to see her open it and see that I didn't check a box. And I thought, this is it. I have to do something radical to change this situation. Otherwise, Ryan is going to get Lona Lopez. So I went up, I was caught, next was my turn. I went up to give my presentation on the country of just Japan. It was the country that interested me. And I just, I went full send. I mean, I just like, I said stuff that wasn't true. I mean, I talked about all these things. And I started just making up Japanese words in my presentation. I don't, know where, I don't know what was going on. And I just started making stuff up. And then at the end of it, my teacher, Mrs. Holman, who, God bless her, she was so sweet, but she just believed everything I said. Who does that? And, and she, she asked me point blank in front of the class, Chris, do you speak Japanese? Are you fluent in Japanese? And I said, hi, which is, yes, in Japanese, one of the few words I actually knew. And... See, the problem with, uh, which this is very impressive for Lona Lopez, by the way. I could see it in her eyes, like, whoa, a man of mystery. He speaks Japanese. The problem with uh, um, uh, telling a lie like this two months into a school year is then you have to maintain the lie for the rest of the school year. It was horrible. 
kids were coming up to me and asking me, hey, how do you say meatloaf in Japanese? And then I have to make something up, and it went on and on. It was exhausting. I mean, it was really hard. And that's a hard thing to explain to your parents, like why you're coming home so stressed. Like, why, why was your day so hard? Oh, I had to make up all these Japanese words, you know? Plus, it totally ruined things for me and Lona Lopez because, like, I don't know, after a while, I was like, do I want to be with her? She, she believes I speak Japanese, you know? It's like, anyway. So, uh, I, actually, it all worked out for me because just a few months later at an art class five miles down the road from the school, I ended up meeting another girl named Amy, and I married her. So it actually worked out really good for me in the end. Um, so can you think of a time in your life like this where you just felt like a total fraud, like people believed things about you that just weren't true? Have you ever felt like that? Um, we're, in a we're, gonna, we're plowing through this series right now called Heart and Soul, and the, the idea of it is we're talking about things that are at the very heart and soul of who we are as a community of believers. Um, we, as, as a senior leadership team, we got together and spent, we poured blood, sweat, and tears over crafting a way to talk about this very unusual thing that we have. There's this partnership we have between these different churches, which has morphed into now kind of one church in multiple locations. And we thought, how do we talk about that? We want it to be clear, and we want people to be able to understand what is at the heart and soul of what we, who we are and what we believe. So we crafted this statement, and it begins like this. We are one church in multiple locations. You see how that leaves room for more in the future, right? Multiple locations. Reaching and restoring and releasing people to live transformed lives. Our vision is to unify, to multiply. Transformational communities that help people find and follow Jesus locally and globally. Maybe someday in Japan, Domo Origato. Um, and these, these values, this idea, this vision, and this, this identity, it's, it's not, we didn't make it up. It comes from a place. It comes from a place of following Jesus. And it's based around this passage at the end of Matthew, chapter, eight, uh, chapter 28. If you look at the end of Matthew, Jesus has some parting words for his followers. And he says, it says this, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain when Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and, they, and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So this is, these are the words that our, our identity, our vision, and our values are rooted in. And so what we're doing in this series is we're kind of, we're one by one, we're we're explaining our values. That's what we're doing. Last week, we talked about partnering, the value that we have in partnering, um, serving as a team, valuing each other's gifts. That's why you see a rotating roster of people up here. We don't, we're not one group that's gathered around a single person's charismatic vision. We're, we're a team of people that, that value each other's input and gifts, right? And today, we're talking about this value right here that, that, that we want to be real. We want this to be a place where we can be real and authentically follow Jesus. Now, I admit that these words like real and authentic, these can be kind of buzzy words right now. Uh, by that, I mean like people use them in, in culture. And at this moment in history, people will use, I mean, they might say, oh, that person is so authentic and it means like they're genuine. Or you might say, I had the most authentic Mexican food today, right? And you mean different things. So 
So what do we mean when we say real and authentic? We're, first of all, I want to be clear that we're not claiming any kind of moral superiority. That doesn't mean that by, by making this stand that we want to be real and authentic, that means that our version of morality is the best version there is or that we're the most holy people. We're not. We're not. It, it means that we're, we strive and we want to be honest and vulnerable. There's another word for you, vulnerable, right? And part of this is admitting that we, we don't have it all together, you know, and by doing that, it gives room to, for people to be in process as well. That's a good thing, right? That's a good thing. It's a good thing. You know, and one of the challenges to embracing this kind of value is that we, at this particular juncture in human history, we are saturated by a phenomenon we call social media. I, if you're one of the two people that follow me on social media, uh, you might have noticed, like, I kind of stopped posting. I, um, I don't think forever, but early in the year, I just hit pause, and I thought, I want to think about how I interact with that world and how I project this version of myself. I, when, and the, re, the reason it came about, I'm just going to be honest and vulnerable with you, I, I was uh, scrolling through my, my own Instagram posts. You ever do this? Your own posts, and you're like, and I realized, you know, if anybody just looked at that and that's all they knew of me, they would think that I only eat healthy food, <laughs> that I travel to all these fun places and I exercise all the time, and that I just do nothing but spend time with my kids and invest in their lives. And like, you know, I, it, and this is very common. This is how people, we perpetuate the perfection myth, right? This myth that everybody out there is living this perfect life except you, if you buy into it. And so I'm, I kind of unplugged for a bit. Um, the reality is there's no substitute for the real thing, for real, genuine connection with real, genuine people. Um, in fact, this is one of the reasons, if you know me at all, you know that I just, I, I love the scriptures. I love the Bible. I don't just read it. I study it. I, I digest it. I, uh, I, I take it apart and put it back together. I love reading the Bible. And the reason I'll tell you, one of the primary reasons for that is that I find the, the biblical authors, their stories, to be so compelling because they're real, because they're real. You know, if you, were to, if you decided one day, I'm going to build a religion from the ground up, you would do what most people have done in human history, building religions from the ground up, that you would, you would write texts and declare that they're holy, and they would be about you, and they would make you look pretty amazing. That's how you build a religion. You make yourself look better than you really are. Kind of like a social media campaign, you know? You, you, you make yourself look better than you really are. But the one exception in all the major religions is when you read the Bible, it's completely the opposite, isn't it? The stories about the people in there, including the people that authored those stories, make them look very, very human. They fail all the time. I mean, think about Noah. After he did this thing where he believed God and saved the world from drowning, he gets drunk and naked in front of his family, like humiliating. You know, Joseph, we talk, we've talked about Joseph's dysfunctional family. I mean, it, it's like a Maury Povich uh, show on steroids. Moses, we think he's pretty amazing, right? He, went, he started his ministry career with a murder rap, right? Peter, we think of him as the leader of the, the, the first century Christians, and he was. And there's a story handed down to us that he approved of being told where he denies Jesus three times. Humiliating. I, 
this is the kind of thing that people that gives people post-traumatic stress, right? Your 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 best friend in the world is tortured and murdered, and you do all the wrong things and say all the wrong things. He had to live with that. And not only that, he he rubber stamped the telling of the story so others could be benefited by it. And just like Jesus restored Peter after his failure, the church exists to restore others. That's why we're here. We're, we're continuing the work that Jesus started. In fact, I would say it like this, that the, the story of God's partnership with human beings, is, it's a redemptive story, isn't it? It's redemptive. And the church is designed to be the stage on which that drama plays itself out. There's a redemption story happening, and this is the stage where it plays itself out. So here's our big question that I want us to ponder. We're going to look at just two uh, Jesus stories in the Gospels today as we think about this value of ours. And we're going to ponder this question. Is there a direct connection between the transformation happening inside of us? Is there, is there a transformation happening inside of you? If, you? if you've said yes to Jesus, then you know there's something. There's something happening. So is there a direct connection between that and our willingness to be authentic and transparent with the people in our community? If the answer is yes to that question, then the church is not just a location that you visit, but it's a lifestyle that you engage in with others. So what is that connection? Let's look at these two passages and help, help us understand what that connection might be. So the first one is a story that comes out of Luke chapter 19, and this is a story of when Jesus meets a man named Zacchaeus. It says, uh, in fact, if you have your Bibles and you want to turn there, this is Luke chapter 19, verse 1. We'll also have it on the screen for you if you want to follow along. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. So already we know some things about, if you've been in and around church, you've heard Jesus stories before, you know that in first century Jewish culture, tax collectors were, they're not good. You know, it was, they were despised. And, and here's why. Um, they were betrayers of their own people. So these people lived under an oppressive regime, crushed under the Romans, uh, barely given enough to survive, much of their freedom taken away, much of their culture um, distorted under Roman rule. But if you wanted to rise above all of that oppression in your community, if you wanted to gain personal wealth and power, you had an option. You could say yes to the Romans and you could become a tax collector against your own people. And you could profit by it. Zacchaeus was a man that did that. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. Since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached that spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Jesus is kind of bossy, isn't he? He's a little bossy. Come on down. I'm coming to your house. I, this is one of those passages, like, I, I'm a bit of an introvert. My wife is definitely an introvert. Like, this is a passage, when I read that, like, it gives me the hives a little bit. Like, you know, like, I'd be like, ah, couldn't, couldn't we just have a Zoom call later in the week, maybe? I, you know, meet for coffee somewhere else, not my house. I didn't clean today. Um, he says, I'm going to come to your house, and it's going to happen right now. I'm going to get into your life. Now, Zacchaeus had an option, didn't he? It doesn't say this, but he could have just stayed in the tree could have just stayed up the tree. Uh, no, no, not today. I just want to see you. And now I've seen you. I'm going to stay in the tree. He comes down at once. And he, wel listen, he welcomes him gladly. 
yeah, come on in, Jesus. I, I didn't know you were coming, but I, I feel like this is a quality of Jesus and his, his ministry to people is he makes everyone feel like he's there just to see you, right? You ever feel that way? You came all this way just to see me, didn't you? So he came down at once and he welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and they began to mutter. Of course they did. Why would Jesus come for the first time to this town and then pick out this guy who had betrayed all his people, his friends and neighbors? He has gone to the guest of a sinner, they said. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. That's a dramatic turn of events, right? I'm going to change my life radically because you came to my house. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. The, the first century Jews, they, they clung to the barest shred of a hope a promise that was given to their family, to their line, that they were all sons and daughters of Abraham and that God's promises would come true. They were living in the darkest of times, a time when it was much, much easier to believe that that promise was not going to come true. So they, they clung with tenacity to this idea that we are a part of the family of Abraham, and a way to cut someone off from community was to say that you're not a part of this family. And that's what they'd done to a man like Zacchaeus. He would have been cut off from temple worship. He would have been cut off from community. You are not a son or a daughter of Abraham. You're, you're cut off from this family. And look at the way Jesus gently restores Zacchaeus. In just one sentence, salvation has come to this house. This man too, he says, he's not speaking to Zacchaeus, is he? He's speaking to the people that gathered around that were murmuring. This man too is a son of Abraham. If you're connected to the family of God, you're connected not because of your works, not because of what you've done, not because of who you are, but because of Jesus. He says, and then he gives his mission statement in one sentence. It takes us paragraphs to do what Jesus did. He says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Here's my takeaway when I read a passage like that. It moves me even now. I've read this a hundred times and it moves me to see this story play itself out. Here's my takeaway is that you don't have to yet behave in all the right ways to belong. Jesus is extending this gift called belonging out. And it's up to you just to reach out and grab it. We, our pattern, our habit is to want to, we want to comb our hair first. You know, we want to find our very best clothes and our, our shoes, and we want to shine them up. We want, to, we want to make ourselves something that we're not before we feel worthy to take this gift he's offering us. But he surprised Zacchaeus, didn't he? He showed up. He said, I'm coming to your house. Oh, next week, next Friday? No, right now. Right now. Before you have a chance to clean up so I can tell you that you belong. I, I just feel in my spirit right now that I feel like there's someone here that needs to hear that. You belong. You belong. You've told yourself and you've allowed other people to tell you that you don't belong. That's not true. You belong. 
I'm going to read another Jesus story. This, is, this is, uh, comes from John chapter 20. I'm going to put this up on the screen as well. This is John chapter 20, verse 24. This is one of my favorite stories. I'm, I'm just going to confess with you. I, I identify with the person of Thomas. Thomas is one of the 12 disciples of Jesus, one of his followers. To this day, he has this moniker. They call him, what do they call Thomas? Doubting Thomas. When you read the three, there's only three uh, speaking parts for Thomas, all in the Gospel of John. None of them would lead you to believe that he's a doubter. All of them would lead you to believe that he's the most passionate follower of Jesus. There's one point early in John when Jesus says, I'm going up to the temple. The other disciples go, no, if you go, they'll kill you. And Thomas goes, let's all go die together. Let's do it right here. This man was no doubter. Christian tradition tells us he went on to uh, uh, be a missionary, as all the disciples did. He got further geographically than any of the other disciples. He made it all the way to the very northern part of India. There's a church today in India that boasts that it was founded by Thomas, and it's the, one of the oldest continuous churches in the entire world. Um, he was murdered there, uh, martyred for his faith. Not a doubter, not a doubter. But he was hit hard by the crucifixion. He was. I'm sure I would have been as well. Here's the story. It says, John chapter 20, it says, Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Maybe he was an introvert too. Need a little time on his own. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, unless I put my hand into his side, I will not believe That's not doubt. That's an unwillingness to open yourself up to the pain of hearing something that may or may not be true. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them this time. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Jesus is a bit of a prankster. He's a bit, you know, you ever notice that? Like they're all, yeah, they're just praying, they're quiet, they're in the house. Doors are locked, of course. It mentions that. All of a sudden, Jesus is like, Peace be with you. <laughs> oh, what? Okay, you know, that's crazy. But the, here's the first thing. He, he, of all, you know, he could have talked to Peter or John and, you know, all these, James, his brother was there maybe. He goes to Thomas. He said, I know what you said. I know what you said. And he said, then he said to Thomas, put your, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord, my God. And then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. He's, Jesus is talking about us. We haven't seen and yet we believed. He knew that because of the, the testimony of the men and the women in this room, that people like us were going to come into the faith come into belief of Jesus. But here's my other takeaway from this passage is that you don't have to yet believe in all the right things to belong. Thomas didn't quite know what to believe. He knew that he was a follower of Jesus to the death, to the death. Let's all go together. Let's die together, he said. He is willing to take it all the way. That's not doubt. That's passion. 
but he didn't have his beliefs all quite sorted out the right way. And yet here's Jesus offering him belonging. It's okay. We're going to figure this thing out as we go. There's another reason why some of you have maybe disqualified yourself or, or why some of us have disqualified others. Well, they don't, they don't believe the right way. They don't have all the right things figured out. So they don't belong, right? Here's Jesus offering belonging to someone who didn't have his beliefs all figured out yet. You know, Jesus could walk through walls at this point, apparently. That's a thing. I'm sure he could have come without any scars if he wanted to, but he brought himself with scars. He made himself, in fact, this is how I describe the relationship between God and human beings, is that God has made himself vulnerable to our rejection. The powerful being that spoke the universe into existence and has ordered the steps of the stars made himself, in all of that power, vulnerable to our refusal. We can refuse him. You know, Jesus' invitation to us is not, hey, get it together, memorize my book, and then come to me. It's right here, there's belonging. Come join this community, and we'll work on it together. In fact, this is his, this is his invitation. This is the way Jesus said it. He says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Would you raise your hand right now if you feel at all weary or burdened or have recently? Do you feel that? Have you felt that way, weary or burdened? That's most of us. His invitation is, come, I offer you rest. Not, you'll notice it's not, hey, I'd like you to get these things in order, put on your best suit, your best dress. I'd like you to make sure that you, um, that you signal to others that you've got your life all under control. And then, I'll, then we'll talk about rest. He says, come to me, and I'll give you rest. This is the opposite of transactional. This is transformational. So much of life and relationship, we, we enter into these transactions with people. If you, if you do this, I'll do that. If you give me this, I'll give you that. It's transaction. Jesus is not offering transaction. He's, act, he's offering transformation. So how does that happen? How does, how does transformation happen? How does it happen in places like this? Well, it happens like this. We make the choice, and he makes the change. If you know me at all, you've heard me say that probably dozens of times. We make the choice, and he makes the change. If you've spent time with anybody in any kind of substance abuse recovery program, you'll know that walking through pe with people through something that has made them, has totally exposed their vulnerability to the point where when this substance comes along, they no longer have any control you know that the, the thin veneer of power that we project as human beings goes away, and all we're left with is choice. It's the only power that God gave us is choice. We make the choice. We say, God, I'm powerless to change myself. Will you do it for me? And he makes the change. I can't change anyone, let alone myself. He begins this work, and then he continues it when we're honest and vulnerable about our failures, about our need, and in our repentance. Repentance is kind of a scary word, isn't it? But it just means, it means to turn around. Like I was facing this way and I realized, hey, I'm going the wrong way. 
I got to go another way. It's to turn around. It's in this belonging that we begin to believe that we are his children. That's, that's when we begin to believe that truth, that we are his children. And it's in believing that we belong, that we become who he created us to be. And that's the goal, isn't it? Paul called this being transformed by the renewing of our mind. And that's what we want for you in this place. To come as you are. But I also want to, we say this a lot, come as you are. But there's also this little follow-up too. Because we want to make this clear also. There's lots of grace. But you don't have to stay that way. Come as you are, but you don't have to stay the way that you are. You know, if I, if I came to your house for the first time and I, I walked right past the rack of where, where all your whole family puts their shoes before they come in the door, but I walked in with my shoes all muddy and I walked around the house and, you know, I tracked mud all over your white carpet and, you know, um, uh, you know the, the first time, that's a misunderstanding. Anyone could do that. And there's grace, right? It's, well, we invited him and, you know... And, uh, he, missed, he didn't pick up on the social cues. If, if the twelfth time I come to your house, I'm still wearing my shoes inside, well, maybe I'm the jerk, you know? Like, that's on me. Um, there, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a way in which we, we come to a place like this, and, and there's grace and permission to belong. But then after a season, you kind of look and you go, hey, you know, it seems like the people in this place, they value things like kindness, Maybe I'm going to speak a little less sharply to people. Maybe I'm going to think a little bit more about how I treat people. You know what I'm saying? So what does it take for us to create an authentic environment for others to be real in? Well, I, I just thought of three quick things. That's, that's how I'm going to kind of finish is just give you these three quick ideas. The first is to listen without judgment. You know, Jesus didn't flinch. We say that a lot. Don't flinch. Listen, but don't flinch. Um, and I think also... We're listening to the person, but we're also listening to the Holy Spirit. How can, I, how can I be of benefit to this person as I'm hearing their story? And the second is that, love, that we can love with the acceptance of Christ. We don't, we don't have enough acceptance in us to give to all the people we're going to meet. But when we love with the acceptance of Christ, we can, we can change the world. We got our family. We got a cat recently, which are words that I thought would never come out of my mouth. I'm not, I, w- I was against it. To be clear, on the record, I was against it. Someone said, <laughs> no devil. Someone said that this thing would be good at uh, taking out mice in the yard. That's how I was won over. This, this thing was going to take out mice in the yard. So far, this thing's not producing results. Last night, Amy looked out the window, um, and don't tell, we have a renter if you meet her, don't tell her this, but there's some mice in the backyard. And they were in the, uh, they were in the, um, we have a fruit tree in the back. It's a, not pomegranate, what is it? Uh, what's the thing people bake, make bread out of? It's the persimmon, yes, thank you. Persimmon tree, and we thought the squirrels were eating them. Last night, Amy's looking, she goes, oh my gosh, there's a mouse eating this persimmon. It's crazy. I'm like, oh, okay, well, let's get Phoebe out there. The cat's name is Phoebe, don't, I don't want to hear about it. Just, it's its name. And so Phoebe goes out, oh, I go, let's get her into action. And I let her out. It's 9 o'clock at night. I'm like, get, get after it, Phoebe. I don't, I don't, whatever. I'm not a cat owner. I'm like, get after it. 
And I'm watching after a little, you know, and, and I'm like, well, mouse, mouse is gone. And then Phoebe comes inside. I'm like, did you do the thing? Did you take care of it, you know? And she just comes and hops up, and we're looking, and I'm looking out the window, and she's standing there with me. And then the three mice come out on a branch, and they're eating persimmons. They're just like, and they're like, I mean, they look happy to see me. And I look down at Phoebe, and she's looking up at me like, she's like, you got a mouse problem. You better do something about this. I'm like, that's what we got you for. That's what you're here for, you know. Often our acceptance of others is based on criteria, right? What they have to offer. Do they produce results, you know? What is it that you're doing in your life that's productive? Jesus' version of acceptance has nothing to do with our behavior, has nothing to do with our performance or what we can do or what we have to offer. It's just based in love. That's all it is. The last one is lead with vulnerability. You know, I would propose to you this idea. This is rather radical, actually, for human beings to think this way, is that, that you have a story. That's not the radical part. You have a story. You know that. You're living it out. But your story doesn't just belong to you. It doesn't just belong to you. There's, they say there's power in vulnerability. But how is that power exercised if you never share your story in a real way with other people? There's things that God has done in my life, and if I never share them with anybody, how are they of any benefit to anyone but me? Jesus showed his scars to Thomas, and we can show our scars to people. It's okay. We can show our scars. We can be wounded healers. This is what uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians about this. He says, uh, talking about us, he says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. These are just jars of clay. The power, the, the thing, the amazing thing is happening on the inside. But we have to share it for people to see it. Community happens inside the cracks, not in spite of them. We hope this message encouraged you to take the next steps in your relationship with God. The cool thing is that you don't have to do it alone. There are a lot of ways you can get connected here at Hope. Not only do we want you to feel at home at Hope, we'd love to help you find a home. Please check out discoverhope.church and click connect or just email us at info at discoverhope.church. Lastly, we give everything we can away for free and rely 100% on volunteers and donations to support this ministry. If you'd like to give to the Mission of Hope Church, you can select the Give option on our website or text any amount to 831-800-2060. Thanks again for tuning in.